changed my lament into a whirling dance. He ripped up my sad black morning band. He dressed me with joy and filled me with song. I can't stop drinking my gut so strong. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the ABBA Podcast with John McDonald. Thank you for tuning in. We really appreciate your support. John would love to hear from you. You can send comments and questions on Twitter at ABBA Podcast. You can also keep in touch through the Facebook page, the ABBA Podcast with John McDonald. Podcast episodes can be downloaded from Podbean, Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and many of the usual platforms. If the ABBA podcast isn't on your favourite platform, let us know and we'll get it sorted. Here's your host, John McDonald. Well, folks, it's my great pleasure to have Godfrey Berto with me. Godfrey has been called a, a prayer minstrel, a troubadour, a worship leader, prophetic, and probably some other names as well, but not. we'll leave that aside. <laughs> Godfrey, it's, it's really is my pleasure to welcome you to the ABBA podcast. Welcome. Great to be with you. Yeah, looking forward to our uh, chat <laughs> in Bonnie Scotland all the way down to Cornwall. Yeah, I know the wonders of the internet, eh? in the modern age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As I said there, you know, people have called you a troubadour, a, a prayer minstrel, all worship leader. How would you describe yourself, Godfrey? Um, that's a funny one. I, I mean, it, I did get that name Menstrual from uh, Roger Mitchell, I remember. Uh, ah, right. Roger Mitchell. You know, I remember him sort of uh, saying that. He said, you're not a worship leader, Godfrey, you're a minstrel. And it kind of summed it up in some ways, although it gives you visions of wearing a sort of hat with bells on. With the lute. <laughs> the court jester, yeah. <laughs> Which I am, I guess, sometimes. Um, but um, I, I would always say, really, I, I'm a journalist. My right. background, I was a press photographer okay. for 20 odd years before coming away from that job right. and uh, doing what I'm doing now, which is living by faith for now for 20 odd years. Wow. Uh, but I, I believe I still have that journalist kind of um, way of looking at things with what I'm doing wow. as a songwriter. I write That's songs. really interesting. I write what I'm seeing, what I'm seeing God doing, what I'm what I'm hearing, you know, what I'm hearing through the Holy Spirit or through conversations like this, you know, and, and there'll be like a snapshot uh, that I might hear one sentence, one word even, and I'll, and the, the way the songs happen is it's like taking them into the dark room, if you like, to use that <laughs> analogy, the old school photography, which is what I grew up in, and developing it, wow. you know, um, it, and that's how the songs generally happen. Yeah, know? none of this newfangled digital stuff. Oh no. <laughs> You're a purist. Oh, I use an iPhone now. I do pictures every day here in Cornwall, you know. Yeah. I left the proper cameras behind ages ago, you know. Although I sometimes think about getting back into black and white photography, you know. I, I just love that medium, you know, it's great. Yeah, wow. Yeah, some 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 of the black and white stuff is, is stunning. And then you see it in colour and it just doesn't have the same effect. Yeah. Well the the heavy papers, you know, what we call the heavies, you know, the uh the bigger, the broadsheets, you know, use black and white for ages and ages and ages, you know, and, and their pictures were always very powerful. It was 
fill in, fill in half the page, yeah. the black and white image. That if it was in color, it wouldn't work. Yeah. You know, there are some images that are so powerful in black and white. Yeah. Oh. yeah. It's kind yeah. of like, it's kind of like some of the, your writing. It's, it's, you paint a picture, but it's, it's not stark. Stark's not the right word. But it, but it, it hits you like a black and white photograph does. I guess so. <laughs> you know, like, but, but it hits you in the heart. Right. With, right. with just um, some of the way you put it, you know. Yeah, I've, I've been, you know, I, I can think about, about um, songwriting, you know, and songwriting these days and stuff. And, um, you know, sometimes I'm asked by young people, you know, um, which is great, you know, I love to be an encouragement to people, but what I've often said is, to them is don't try to write a song. Mm. I think there's a danger sometimes in trying to write a worship song uh, because it can end up being something contrived. Uh, And also there's a lot of focus, I think, sometimes in songwriting on the melody, like Mm. get a catchy melody. And then cherry pick words that have already been sung and stick them in there. Do you know what I mean? So I I really feel that we need to be hearing songs that uh, aren't cherry-picked words. What I have it for myself, and I believe every songwriter needs, is someone like my wife, Jill. When I've written a song, I play them to her, and she kind of identifies anything that has been hammered phrase-wise in the oh, chair. Yeah. She just say that that phrase uh, it's been absolutely drained, and and it, you know it teaches me to kind of not write what's already been written if you know what I mean. Wow. I mean sometimes it's okay with bits of old hymns and things like that or complete old hymns, you know. But yeah, yeah. but in writing songs, really it should come out of not not cherry picking stuff you know that we've sung over and over again, but uh, what are you actually seeing? you know, mm, and, and so on, you know, uh, that, that it should come through that, almost like a journalist. And it doesn't matter if, to me, even if they're not grammatically perfect, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it, to me, it's just, it, it's like a, it's almost like a feeling. Yeah. You know, I've sometimes tried to correct a song that I felt's not quite grammatically right. And, and uh, I've, you know, played it to Jill when it wasn't quite spot on and then, tried to correct it, took it back to her, and she's kind of said, it's lost something. And I've had to go back to where it's not oh, perfect. Yeah. You well, know. I mean, people people don't always speak grammatically correct, do they? You know? Uh-huh. Um, exactly. I, so I suppose you're, it's, it's like writing in the vernacular. Yeah. And it's the heart, isn't it? Yeah. And if it, if it I often find if, if this, you can tell if a song's got life, you'll know it while you're writing it. Yeah. If you're just writing a song, I mean, I don't want to be critical, but there are groups of people in certain places, like Nashville or whatever, you know, that get together to write Christian hits. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which is fine. But then it's again, like, really, I... the, the big deal is the melody. Is it a catchy yeah. melody? You know, and then stick a few cherry-picked words in, like I'm saying, you know. Which what? is fine, yeah. and they're nice songs, but I always liken those to cans of Coke. You know, there's loads of Coke. You know, it's everywhere. It tastes the same, looks the same. But I always try to uh, to kind of get across to young writers and that don't write cans of coke. You know, we've got enough pop music. 
write wine songs. Wine's different. Wine comes from an area. It's got a uniqueness. You know, write write the songs of the new wine. You know, that's, new that's funny. Yeah, but it's funny you were saying that about pop music because that's what was going through my head. Yeah. Like Pete Waterman and all those kind of guys sitting down to write formulaic songs. Yeah. Just because they'll be hits and make money. Absolutely. They're not really saying really? anything to the culture. They're not saying anything to the the yeah. um, situation of the world. They're just making hits for reputation and money. Yeah, I wouldn't accuse people of doing no. that, but but <laughs> my I'm talking about pop, the pop world. That's money. that's the aim of it. You know. You know, I, I don't think whenever I've written a song, I don't think I've ever thought, you know, I'm doing this because it's going to be a hit or whatever. What sometimes have happened, like the song you mentioned just before when we first hooked up, the one, the first song that kind of for me kind of um, kind of started to be sung quite a lot was the song Outrageous Grace. Mm. And when I'd written that song, I, I, I wrote it in the morning and Joe was still in bed and I went to play it to her and I, I sat on uh, the bed and just, what do you think of this song? You know, and a lot of pain, a lot more healing, blah, blah, blah. Got to the chorus, oh, outrageous Christ. And we both fell about laughing. Every time we got to the chorus, we were just, we, we were, I'm not kidding. She like fell out of bed laughing. We were, we were laughing so much, like the, the verses, fine, fine, fine. The chorus, boom, you know, <laughs> like released a laughter and a joy. And it identified to me wow. there's something on this. Yeah. And sure enough, when I played it to people, something happened. It wasn't always laughter. Sometimes people have been in tears or yeah. you know, things like that. Uh, there's a lot of pain But love more healing There's a lot of trouble But a lot more peace There's a lot of hate 
It's not, if you get what I'm saying, I'm, I'm not just into writing a song. Yeah. 
you know, and that's why I work with Jill, because she identifies, has it something on this, of the sure. Spirit of God, you know? Wow. It's not just a song we're singing, it actually does something. Yeah. Well, she, she certainly has good discernment, because most of, most all of the stuff I've heard of yours has got something on it. <laughs> that's true. You know, and she's not a, a singer either. She doesn't sing in tune, she's not a musician. <laughs> and yet she can identify a song better than I can. She, she, she hears yeah. the spirit much clearer. I think it's the working together, isn't it? I suppose. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And that, that, I think that's the wonderful thing you're, you're saying there is that you don't just do this in isolation, like mm. this is Godfrey's. It's, it's something that, that's shared with you and Jill, but then you share it with the world. Well, oh, it's incredible. Where it goes, it goes. Uh, I think it was Darling Chet said, uh, a good song will have legs, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. awesome yeah i mean we've been not many years ago now but we were going through something and it was your song and um, breakout all right yeah. that really really helped us through that period of of we, we were sensing the leading of the spirit but we were it was a bit scary <laughs> you know as it, as it sometimes is and that yeah. song just kept speaking to us over and over every time we played that cd we were like yeah, yeah, we hear you, we hear you. <laughs> do we have to do it? You know, it's like, <laughs> but that song was so um, precious and still is for us because it really spoke deeply into our situation and we heard the spirit in the song, you know. Yeah, that, that was um, from uh, the, the um, late 90s when I was with Dale Gentry, yeah. a guy from Texas. And um, that is really his message. We've got to break out. You know, and it, there was something on what he was saying at that time, particularly that, um, yeah. and I did break out, you know, that's that time I left my job and started doing what I was doing, you know, just leapt off the edge, you know, and I got myself a breakout, you know. Wow. <laughs> uh, so it was all like part of that, really, that it came through that. So, yeah. and I think the chorus, you know, I can hear now Dale shouting, break out. Can you hear a break out, you know, and so the chorus is break out, you know, and that's how it kind of came about. So Dale was very much a strong influence on that song, yeah. you know, back then. Break out, this is the time to break out, this is the call to break out, this is the year of the break It's interesting because were you writing songs and playing music while you were a journalist or was that just something that began? Yeah. Uh, well, I was like a, you know, worship pastor at a church, a free Methodist church and stuff like that, looking after a worship team and stuff and doing my job, you know, and yeah. I write the odd song at those times and, um, but you know, the, I'd say they weren't really corporate songs. They weren't, there's perhaps songs that you just sit and listen to. And, hmm. and I try to bring them to the congregation at the very patient and kind Free Methodist Church. <laughs> and it was in the days of overhead projectors, you know, yeah. lights and stuff. And, and I used to write these songs and write them out by hand and then um, 
put them on. And, and as I do a few normal songs, you know, while I was leading worship, and then I bring one of my songs, you know, and uh, it was almost like they, they kind of knew it was one of mine. <laughs> one reason was it didn't have a name of the writer on it. It just said anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> And then there was almost a feeling of, you know, let's lift our hands and encourage him. Because <laughs> this song's dying, you know. Oh, and, uh, so I went through a few years of that, really. Uh, but it was at that breakout moment, I guess, where everything changed. When I wrote Outrageous Grace, for example, I wasn't just writing a song, like I said before. When I wrote the chorus, Outrageous Grace, it's going to sound a bit obvious, <laughs> but I, set, I heard uh, like thousands of voices singing, just oh, Christ. I could hear it, you know, oh. you, you know, and uh, and and so that that hadn't happened before, and that's when I started to write songs that were became corporate when I could hear a congregation actually singing them, if you know what oh. I mean. That was a, a complete change to what I'd done before. Yeah, that's I was incredible. thinking, what can I write next? It was like it was like connection with the spirit of God, and uh, and what I'm you know, and all those other influences of what I'm seeing, what I'm doing today, what's happening in the church today, you know, and and the rest of it, you know. So, what do you think it was that that helped you to make that transition from writing those songs that were just listenable to songs that people embraced and, and I think sung. it was a, a holy dissatisfaction <laughs> uh, I think I was just so like not happy with these songs I'd written and I, I'll be honest I wasn't happy in my job I, I was like it was turning into new technology you know I, I started in my job as a, a dark room printer in a dark room for about three years then a photographer so, and it, it was black and white most of the time, and I yeah. worked all over the country and stuff. Then when it went into Apple Macs, I felt like a dinosaur, you know. <laughs> so I was really unhappy with, um, with the transition to digital. I just felt I'm not in this. But it was, a, like I say, a holy dissatisfaction because I feel it was the Lord pushing me on mm. and pushing me out of that. And I had to make that decision to leave, you know, and uh, left the job with a steady income. Uh, and I'd know no one had heard any of my songs or anything like that, but I took the step and I took mm -hmm. it with Jildo. We agreed together, you know, that we're going to do this. It's going to be tough. And it was very, very tough. You know, sometimes we had hardly a penny to rub together, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but we, we knew in our spirits it was right. You know, we just knew we've got to do this. It's so right. God was all over it, you know, and we were... We're saying things in scripture like, uh, I look after those who are young and we have, you know, we have, I was going to say, I mean, you must, your family must have been quite young then, your daughter. Uh, well, then the youngest would have been, oh my goodness, that, that would have been, he would have been um, probably about um, nine or ten, yeah. Oh, so you had teenagers as well? Sorry? That's even, you had teenagers as well then? Yeah. Well, that's even worse. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, people thought I was crazy. Yeah. They did, um, you know, what are you doing? You know, because I was actually offered a sum of money from the newspaper that was got for, uh, through the union, the NUJ, because they felt my training hadn't been good. They were going to give me a lump sum. Wow. And, uh, but I felt the Lord say, don't take it. 
So oh. I, I refused it. Wow. Because I felt the Lord saying, they owe you nothing. Come away, I'll look after you. And did that. You know. Well, that's a, that's a very big step then, isn't it? Because it's a huge temptation to have this little nest egg of, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it was 10 grand. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah, but 20 odd years ago, 10 grand was more than 10 grand is now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, oh. But, you know, I think when you, you know, at that age or whatever, you know, we were then and I just knew... I knew it was right. I, if I'd stayed in that job, it would have killed me. You know, yeah. press photography was a young man's job anyway. I think you're chasing, sure. everything's wanted yesterday. You know, it's just constant stress, constant, you know, now, 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 you know. Uh, so <laughs> I was, like I say, just knew something had to shift here. You know? And I guess, I guess at that, approaching that time before, before you left, that would have been kind of entering the age of the paparazzi as well, where, where it was, yeah, it was just all the celebrity photography and stuff, you know. Yeah, I left not long after the time of um, Princess Diana's death, actually. Yeah. It was, I left in March 98. Yeah. Wow. And it all changed from there. Little yeah, did I know, you know, um, that uh, what was ahead. Although in saying that, every morning I was writing down what I felt God was saying to me, I wrote it down. I still got the books now, the little books. I, I still write down things. That, uh, yeah. But back then, the things I was writing down were outrageous because I felt the Lord was saying, you're going to be writing songs of sung all over the world and you're going to be traveling to America, South Africa, all these different places, Australia, New Zealand. And I, one, I'd never been anywhere like that. I had a fear of flying. I had a fear of airplanes. Wow. But I still wrote it down. And sure enough, within uh, a few years, a couple of years, all these things started happening, one after the other, you know. All these things I'd written down started to happen. That's amazing. And, um, but at the same time, I've also felt to stay true to what I felt he said to me. And I've never been really tempted to, to go for the big deal of being yeah. a star worship reader. If I felt, you know, not, not to be afraid to be out of the box. Yeah. I don't have to be liked. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, it's I funny you're saying that. Me. About, yeah. I felt yeah. be you. Don't try and be like somebody else. Yeah. You know, be, just be you. Who you yeah. are. Who I made you to be. Don't sure. don't be like another Redman or whatever. You know what I mean? Uh, it's funny you're saying that because I read an interview with you and that Tony Cummins did. Well, I don't know, 15 years ago or something. And okay. this, this is I, I was laughing when he said this because I thought it's, it's damning with faint praise. Um, he said, Godfrey Berto flies in the face of all those who believe that you had to be a good-looking teenager with soul survivor connections to become a nationally known worship leader and songwriter. Yeah. <laughs> that's just when you, you were talking about that there, that, that reminded <laughs> me of that quote from Tony Cummings. <laughs> that's right, Tony Cummings. Yeah, thank you, Tony. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, thought, I thought, I know what you're trying well, to say, Tony, truth. but really? Bring <laughs> a truth in that, uh, I guess, yeah. Um, but you know, I've liked being a, a little, uh, I, enjoy, I enjoy it. I've not tried to be outside the box or whatever, as people say I am, you know, yeah. people say I'm left field, all the rest of it. Or uh, when I used to lead worship at Grapevine and that, they always said that I was Marmite, you know what I mean? You know, and people <laughs> give me little cartons of Marmite and stuff, you know. And I've not tried to be Marmite, you know, it's just yeah. who I am, you know. 
I guess I am a little odd. <laughs> but, but the good thing is, you know, I believe it's right if you be who you are. You yeah, know, but you, some of that is not necessarily a Christian thing. Some of that is the influences of your life, isn't it? Well, exactly, yeah. yeah. yeah and I had, uh, to be honest, uh, um, my uh, youth was quite uh, misspent. You know, I was uh, in the band scene, in the drug scene. I ended up completely losing the plot. Yeah. Actually, ended up in a uh, in needing psychiatric help. Ended up in the hospital in um, Scotland, actually, Crichton Royal. I don't know if it's still oh, there. No, it's not there now. But yeah, no. So that was, um, you know, quite a traumatic time to yeah. get through, and it was around about after that time when I was. Uh, had my first encounter with the Lord, you know, and um, sort of everything has changed from there, really, because uh, I've not, I've not had those issues since. Yeah, I was like set free from that, and um, but shortly after, I, I wanted to uh, go back to hospitals, you know, to to sing and stuff, but they wouldn't. I let remember me reading about that with you, yeah. Yeah, they wouldn't let me. They wouldn't let me back in, you know until uh, I wrote this song. Uh, like, I, I kept trying and trying and trying, they, they wouldn't let me in. Until I wrote this song, Do You Believe What I Believe About You? Which is mm -hmm. like father's heart towards yeah. humanity. You know, uh, what are you believing song. about yourself? I'm not beating you up, you know. What are you, so why are you beating yourself up? It's that kind of song where father's saying, you know, you, you're irreplaceable, you're unique. So speaking to people with suicidal tendencies, look, you, you Irreplaceable, you know, you're unique, you know, and uh... you believe what I believe about you. You are beautiful, so precious too. You're irreplaceable and unique, created for this intimacy, and forever we belong together. I say, I a beautiful song so i put that on an album and um it just so happened that uh, a young girl had um, been given the cd and had been playing uh, that song and the staff there reckoned it, it really helped her oh. uh, and so they phoned me up <laughs> out of the blue and just said uh, we, you know about this song and um, would you come in you know would you wow. come in and, and play some of these songs uh, to the uh, patients and so uh, I did that and uh, from there on a long story short you know I've, I've gone to quite a number of different hospitals and um, psychiatric wards and some pretty heavy duty ones as well you know secure wards mm. where they now allow me to go on them just with my guitar wow. they, you know they give me a toggle to pull if I get in trouble and stuff like that but I found that more effective rather than doing a concert to sing sort of one-to-one -one, you know yeah wow uh, so often I, I'm singing to one person you know do you believe it or I'm not disappointed in you you know and things like that 
um, to them. And uh, it's a wonderful privilege to be able to do that, really. You know. What kind of responses do you get from people doing that, Godfrey? Well, uh, there was one world where they couldn't let me in a, a secure world because there'd been a lot of um, trouble and violence in, uh, in the ward. Uh, but I, I did say to them, I really, I've been in a ward like that when I was ill, you know, would they allow me to go in? So they did allow me in. And sure enough, when I went in, there were people like lying on the floor and I was crying and there's all this. And I just started to play my guitar. Mm. Um, walking around, just playing my guitar. And the, atmos the atmosphere just shifted, you know, to a light, from a heavy atmosphere to a light atmosphere. And one or two of them just smiling, you know, as I looked into their eyes and stuff and just, just uh, you are beautiful, so precious to you, irreplaceable and unique. Just singing, singing to them, you know, singing God's thoughts towards them, you know, which are good, you know. Yeah. Uh, so things like that. And uh, I had one guy in one secure unit who was like a bit like the big guy out of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was massive, this guy. <laughs> really big scary guy you know and um but he sat in front of me right face to face while i was playing and i i sang directly to him and uh, the nurses came up to the the staff you know so you have no idea what just happened we've never seen that with him he doesn't communicate normally but he talked to me wow. and they said um he's missed out on his cigarette break his fag break, cigarette break for many Americans. He's <laughs> uh, missed out on his cigarette break and he will never do that. And in the psychiatric ward, a cigarette break is a big deal because ah. it's just a change of scenery. You know, you go outside and have a cigarette or whatever. Wow. He doesn't smoke inside. So. so I thought that was interesting that Father was just connecting with him, letting him know how beautiful he was, you know, this awesome. big, big strapping guy. <laughs> Yeah, so it's a privilege to be able to do that. And I, I think I have to wait 30 years, maybe more, before wow. that door opened. Wow. But if I'd have done it earlier, it'd have been too soon. Yeah. I'd have gone in there with religion, probably. I'd have gone in there trying to get scalps, you know, how many can I get today to yeah. make them say this little prayer or whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah. And um, it was like... You know, it was like the right time because I went in there. It was like the Lord was showing me, just take my love in there. Nothing else. Don't don't try and make them to get decisions. It's a big enough decision for half of them to get out of bed, you know. Mm -hmm. Just show them my love. Show them my compassion towards them and my love towards them. And that's how, that's how I do it. I don't try and make them Christians or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that... I've been involved in ministries and I've probably done it myself where I've tried to force the issue mm. you know, um, or I've seen the issue being forced and you're right. It, it, it yeah. just, I think if they see the love of God, if they encounter yeah. the love of God, I believe the Holy Spirit does the rest. You know, I, I really believe that people who, who just spot that they are so loved and that's when they, they encounter the love of Jesus, the, the, the reality of the the finished work of the cross, what that actually means for them, you know, and all of us. <laughs> well, that's it, isn't it? Because when you start to speak to them with that language about the cross and stuff, they're just like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you start to speak the language of love, 
Yeah. It does something else, doesn't it? it well, this is, this is it. It's all about that. <laughs> it's all about the greatest of these is love, yeah. Wow. That, that is what communicates to people when they know they're so loved. Because mm. most people, for example, well, most people anyway, but I'd say more so in psychiatric wards, don't believe they're lovable. Wow. That's a, 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 and that, uh, a, I remember my time when I was in a ward, I felt so disappointed in myself and I felt I was a disappointment to my family and everything, you know, a big letdown, you know, I'm a fam family of five kids, I'm the youngest, you know, and um, just felt completely disappointment. Wow. And when I started, you know, 30, 40 years later going into the psychiatric wards, I felt that same spirit if you like a disappointment mm -hmm. you know that heaviness of disappointment mm. i just sense the lord saying to tell them i'm not disappointed i don't do disappointment you know i knew you before you were born yeah you know disappointment is a is is a thing that we experience <laughs> it's more often not we're disappointed in ourselves but I, when we look to the lord and his heart for us even when we messed up or whatever, I, I don't believe he's disappointed. He doesn't want us to be in a mess, you know, but he's done something about the mess mm. at Calvary, you know, and I believe the father would say, you know, I'm not disappointed in you. Oh. So don't be disappointed in yourself. You know, let me lift that off you, you yeah. know, and so, uh, which is what he does, uh, you know, uh, to see that happen, you see it in people's eyes when they've been set free from guilt and condemnation mm -hmm. and, and beating themselves up. You see it, it's like a light comes on, you know, boom, I'm free, you know, and that's what, yeah. it, that's what the cross did, made us free. <laughs> Jesus did it. And of course, the psychiatric wards aren't the only place you've taken music. Oh, no. That was about glory in the pub. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I felt very much that... Um, you know, pubs are where Jesus would go, you know, mm. uh, because Jesus went where people are, the ordinary people, you know. Uh, I think he'd be stood at the bar having a laugh with folk, you know, <laughs> I can really see that, you know. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, Jesus is joy to me. You know, he's not religious. He came to get rid of religion, you know. Jesus is joy. He wants you to be yourself, to be you, you know. And so I really felt the pub is a good place to go. Again, not going to get scalps, you know. Yeah. But to introduce them to this Father, Father God that loves them, no matter where they're at. Yeah. And I've seen things like, you know, like there was one pub, the barmaid, for example, who didn't really want us there. Com see her completely turn her attitude around and she was like she she just loved it she she looked forward to every time we were going you know fantastic uh and whereas at first she was really opposed thinking yeah. it was religion you know don't want any religion um how did the punters generally respond or react to to what you were doing um well, sometimes there's quite a few folks that know the Lord and, you know, are in a relationship with the Lord. So there's, uh, but say there are people on the periphery that have just never encountered, had an encounter like that, that they know of anyway, that, um, yeah. you know, there'd be a mixture probably, uh, and it'd be a curiosity. But 
Do you know, I, I, never, I never got any sense of go away, you know, if we don't want you. I really feel that the pubs and stuff, well, the pubs are having a tough time right now. Uh, but I really feel that the pubs are, are places where there is such an openness to the love of God. Mm. You know, um, people in pubs are great people. They're, they're community people. Yeah. They, they love being in community, you know. Yeah. And I believe the Lord loves that. You know, the Lord loves communities, you know. And, uh, you know, I've experienced like uh, a pub in Ireland, for example, that didn't really want us to be there. You know, they did a tour of some bars in Ireland and, um, and there was, uh, you know, it, this was a really rough pub, like a really, really rough one, you know, but, you know, they danced, you know, they, they, they loved the music and that, and it was just a great atmosphere. Oh. And uh, so, yeah, I think, the music is a good uh, good way to uh, preach the gospel yeah. without it kind of being sort of, are you trying to ensnare me into something? Yeah. You know well, it's I mean? interesting, you know, had you gone in there with traditional worship songs, would they have received, had you gone in there with traditional worship songs, right. would they have received it? Might, I'm not about, so sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, I sing stuff like the wine is alive, you know. Oh. <laughs> they like that, you know. But I mean, I've seen you. I've seen you play a, a number of times. Obviously, Today? I've seen you play a number of times. Oh, and right. You don't. You don't do a nice like la 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 da Jesus. You know, <laughs> that's not your style. <laughs> well, <laughs> I can't. You know, I, I, I love it all. Really, I'm. A, I'm a big music fun anyway yeah. you know i do i do love the the gentle and 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 i love the connecting you know uh, and the worship thing too you know but like i said as roger mitchell said all that time ago i am more of a minstrel i'm yeah. looking at people you know you know i'm not like that i'm looking yeah. at uh -huh. i'm looking at the band i can regard the congregation as the band you know so i'm looking at them and awesome. seeing are we are we connecting you know, there's no point being like that. If everybody else is like, you know. <laughs> what's he doing? <laughs> <laughs> you know, to me, I'm looking for that corporate connection yeah. you know, with us all. Boom, you know, that's uh, what I look for, you know. And I love, I love that perspective you've got of, this isn't a pub full of sinners, this is a community of people. Yeah. What, what a different perspective. Um, and I love that because when you go with that attitude, that communicates to people. Absolutely. Whatever attitude you have towards them communicates to them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, a few years ago, you know, I, I wouldn't have had that kind of look. Something happened to me about 10 years or so back where I completely changed the way I looked at people, you know, and... and uh, and that was when I really got a grasp of the gospel and the new covenant mm. and how Jesus looks at people in the pub, you know. Yeah. Uh, because I'd have probably gone in there with condemnation or whatever, you know. And um, people smell that. Yes. People know if you're just going in there under duress, you know, I hate the places and I'm just in here to get a few people to say, you know, give the lives to the Lord or whatever. You know, people will smell that. 
But if you're going in there, looking at them as the same as you, <laughs> you are no more holy than they are and, and vice versa. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, uh, it's sort of uh, looking at them on a level. It's you know, understandable. You're not better than them. Yeah, yeah. It's understandable. I'm afraid that's what does ha can come across sometimes when Christians are doing evangelism in places where they're scalp hunting and they, they feel that, you know, you, you know they, they've got one up on you kind of. Well, that's what can come across. They might not be thinking that, but that can come across. It's how people, it's how people read it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. people read you when you're silent, you know, <laughs> they can they can they can tell the vibes, you know. Definitely. Whereas if you're going in there and you, you're looking at people, you know, like I've had a guy in a bar in one place, you know, that was absolutely out of his brains, you know, and and just put my arm around him, you know, it was his birthday, and uh, yeah. and started to sing happy birthday with the rest of the bar, like and. This guy who'd been like really aggressive previously, suddenly his heart was softened. Yeah. yeah. So we carry the touch of the king. Wow. You know? That's the touch of the king when we, you know, someone who seems aggressive and all the rest of it, and we just we connect God's love with them, you know. Yeah. Um, and it, that changes their hearts, you know, when they encounter the love of God. And that, that's that's one of your songs, hands. isn't it? That's one, of your, that's one of your songs. Yeah, that's yeah, one that's from right. the game. I can't imagine. <laughs> There's a battle raging over this land. A deep damage in the people. But pride stops us stretching out our withered hand. But God has stretched out to heal us this unknown. behind that song Godfrey what brought that to, to you well uh, do you know I can't remember too much. <laughs> that's all right um, 
you know, it's one, it's, it, that was one of the songs from a few years ago that, uh, I, I can't remember the guy's name, but there was a guy preaching. And I think he, he mentioned about, about that. Right. And, it, and, it, and something just hit me. It, it can often happen that someone will say something and a phrase will just go boom, you know, like, like the, the uh, snapshot that I take into the dark room, you know, and um, that would be one of those. You know, yeah. and um, I had a few versions of it until I got to that light, you know, yeah. but um, yeah, it, 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 um, it seemed to go down quite well. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, just a bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I still sing it, although I kind of theologically have kind of moved on a little bit yeah. into a, a slightly different place. I try to keep that rose I'm working my head off To please God I tried opening gates And digging those ancient wells Quite a lot But it wore me out It just wore me out So I quit being a lawman So I could be God's man I stopped all my striving Special possession, fall out of darkness. 